Cesar Chavez said, once social change begins, it cannot be reversed. You cannot uneducate the person who has learned to read. You cannot humiliate the person who feels pride. And you cannot oppress the people who are not afraid anymore. I think there are many of us who really need to dig deep and find our voices and be fearless for those things that really matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, a multi-generational conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle. We are recording this episode on March 8, 2022, a little over a week into Russia's unprovoked attack on the people and nation of Ukraine. The devastation, including the intentional slaughter of civilians, even children, is bone-chilling. As the destruction rages, Vladimir Putin's war crimes have created the largest refugee crisis since World War II, and it's only getting worse. In the face of all this evil and horror, we are also witnessing incredible courage from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to the soldiers and civilians facing the Russian onslaught. Let's also recognize the leadership and courage of the women who are saving thousands of children. Mothers traveling for days in bitter temperatures with barely any food or sleep and only the clothes on their backs. Those who are making it to Poland and surrounding countries are being met by other warriors in this battle for freedom. Women and men who are fighting to save lives, their weapons, food, clothing, medical care, housing, baby strollers and comfort to the children and the mothers who are saving them, who will tell the truth of this story for decades. In light of this moment, I am particularly pleased to have a leader and a Latina activist as my guest. Joanne Chavez is a senior vice president and chief legal counsel for a major Michigan energy company, DTE Energy, headquartered here in Detroit. Her current executive leadership role, though, is just the tip of the iceberg of who Joanne Chavez is and what she brings to our conversation. The granddaughter of Mexican farm workers and the daughter of high school dropouts, she holds two degrees from the University of Notre Dame, an undergraduate business degree and a law degree. And she was recently named one of the most influential women in Michigan. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you, Anne. It's such a privilege to be here with you this morning. I was actually um, overwhelmed when you invited me to join. I often uh, just keep my head down and, and do the work that I need to do. And when you thought that my voice mattered here, I was really taken aback. So thank you for having me this morning. Your voice is uh, very important, particularly relevant to this moment. And, you know, I want to begin with a quote from your bio, which not only signals who you are, but I think is particularly relevant at this moment of a global crisis over freedom. So I wonder if you would share that with us, Joanne. I would love to. So this is from Cesar Chavez, who, as many of you know, 
was one of the co-founders of the United Farm Workers along with Dolores Huerta. And he's, I, I look all the time for quotes and things that I think best summarize who I am and what I do. And this one was the closest to it. Cesar Chavez said, once social change begins, it cannot be reversed. You cannot uneducate the person who has learned to read. You cannot humiliate the person who feels pride and you cannot oppress the people who are not afraid anymore. I, I, uh, it, it's all, I wow. always get chills uh, after yeah. I say that because it is a really powerful statement. Incredibly powerful statement. And when I read it in your bio, I thought of, of the people who are not afraid as they stand in front of tanks. Um, what are your feelings right now, Joanne, uh, about what we are witnessing, uh, particularly in terms of women in a time of war? Yeah, it's a, it's a global atrocity, right? That here we are sitting in 2022 and something like this can happen. I think the West is doing okay. Um, I often wonder, and not being a national security expert, um, perhaps I will refrain from my own thoughts on the more we might be able to do. I am witnessing a group of people who are, I feel very similar to Latinos, right? They have great pride in who they are and they are fighting hard for their democracy. And oftentimes, you know, understated members of communities like grandmothers and mothers and women um, don't get the ability to really demonstrate everything they have within them. But I think for Ukraine, we are seeing these women with such incredible strength and endurance and resilience. And no matter what happens, they will still emerge a strong people. I think no one can, it's, I, I reflect back on Cesar Chavez, they're not afraid and they are no. going to keep this with them forever. And so I do believe that somehow they will emerge. I don't know all of the specifics, but I am every day saddened by this you know, global atrocity. Yeah, and, and to do everything we can to uh, support our governments doing everything they can, um, but also to learn some lessons from this in terms of our own individual work in our circles of influence. And I know that's what you're doing. You describe yourself as uh, an, a Latina activist. Uh, what do you mean by that? So it's interesting. I, I realized years ago um, that I was able to affect change from the inside of a corporate uh, culture, right? From a large Fortune 500 company, I could still affect change. And for me, it seemed like greater change than had I chosen some original routes and professions that I had contemplated, like you know, working for legal aid in the migrant farm workers or mm -hmm. working for the public defender. Because right now, I feel like I am able to seize all of the power of DTE, all of the networks. I would have never met a woman like you, Anne, had I worked for the public defender's office. 
-hmm. I would have had, I think, a good impact, but now I feel like I am able to have a greater impact. And that's why I call myself an activist, because I don't think that you have to be on the front lines of a social welfare agency or on the grassroots to actually affect change. I think there are many of us who really need to dig deep and find our voices and be fearless for those things that really matter. Be fearless. I I, I love that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I have been a professional woman for almost 50 years now. And so uh, we've seen tremendous um, progress, not enough, but tremendous progress. I think there's much more um, respect and value for the diverse voices that you bring to the table. And I'm reminded of uh, part of my career was at Ford Motor Company. And I remember a well-intentioned senior executive saying to me at one point, and, you know, you're doing a really great job. And, um, but I have just one piece of advice for you. And I said, yeah, what's that? And he said, you have to stop seeing things always through the eyes of a woman. People are getting really tired of it. And I kind of laughed and said, you know what? I'm getting tired of being the only eyes of a woman in that room. And I'm sure you know that as a woman and as a Latina, uh, have you personally faced racism, sexism, and, and, and how do you deal with it and keep raising your voice and know you're bringing value? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think things have changed probably in the recent last, you know, couple of years. Um, but I think I've had a career where I've been the first and only. And it's difficult. It's difficult for two reasons. The homogeneous group that I've always had to sit at the table with saw me as different. And they might see me as different because of my gender. They might see me as different because of the color of my skin. They might see me as different because of the energy and passion that I evoke. Uh, but I also felt different. When you don't grow up at these tables, you come in with your own insecurities. So it is a compounded challenge as you sit at these tables. And I think as a young professional, I was probably extremely outspoken. And I noted every injustice <laughs> that I spotted. Triggered and, easily. I know, I know. <laughs> I remember being that young yeah. warrior. Right? And you want to make sure that they're aware of the injustices or the inequities that they're putting forth. And I, I won't say that I subscribe to what your leader at Ford Motor Company told you. But I think as I matured, I became more judicious and more thoughtful about when and where I would share uh, my opinion on those potential injustices. You know, the one thing I, I probably learned the most is that sometimes you have to give people what they need, not what you need. And, mm -hmm. and what does that mean? It means that when you're sitting with people that are perhaps different than you, you can't try and keep convincing them to eat vanilla ice cream when they've told you clearly they only like chocolate, <laughs> right? Uh -huh. But, right. but right. what I have figured out is that I had more allies at that table than I knew. And mm -hmm. if I spent the time 
working the room before we got to the room or after the room, it is always great success when I hear my words coming out of someone else's mouth, right? Mm, so right. That you don't have to be the sole spokesperson because I also learned that sometimes that same voice like floods someone's brain and they just turn you off. So that if you can be judicious about the items that you are selecting to dispute at a given table, I think that you are gonna be far more effective. It doesn't mean that you don't highlight micro inequities. It means that you have to choose the right place, the right audience and the right time. I think it is important for us to have our voices. And I'm, I'm blessed now to sit on an executive committee where I can do that. I'm also blessed to be a, little, a lot more mature and thoughtful and able to be so much more effective. And so I, I do feel like things have changed. I will say, yes, I've been discriminated, but I don't ever believe like it was overt in my professional. It was, you know, the unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was early in my career, Joanne, you can be the secretary, Joanne, plan yeah. the event, right? Um, that hasn't happened in many, many years. But, mm-hmm. um, but that's in my professional setting. I will tell you out in the world, they don't know that I am Joanne Chavez, senior vice president and chief legal officer at DTE Energy. I've been within the last three years, I was asked at an English gardens to help someone carry out their flowers to their car. Oh my god! So, wow. Know, know English Garden is a is a flower store for people yeah. who don't know. You know, yeah, right. Landscaping store. Wow. So it happens, right? And I think that's the one thing I would ask everyone to be empathetic about. You don't know what our lives are like outside of here. You know, outside of our offices. And so, you know, give us the benefit of the doubt. If we're quiet at the table, there may be reasons right? The world is, is difficult when you are different. And, you know, but I I think the most important message to share with you is I never let it stop me. I, I tell everyone, you just need to learn the rules, learn the rules that they've made every game I play. I have to learn the rules. So yeah, understand them. Right. You know, and one of the chapters in my book, powering up is called uh, break the rules. And but what I say is, you have to learn the rules and master the game before you can start changing the rules. Absolutely. I, I feel like that's perhaps the point of my career. Similarly, you know, kind of in a similar way, we had our uh, current chairman used to tell us all to dominate our box, focus on what you're doing. And so I tell younger minorities, you know, that are early in career, focus on being great, whether it's Mm. fair or not, our burden, Mm. you know, is a lot greater. We, I've always felt that I've had to work harder. I've had to be better than everyone in the room, even if Mm. I'm not, I'm not saying I was better than everyone in the room. You had to work as if you, right, right. With that goal. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important. I always say that when we think about, you know, International Women's Day and our biases and breaking this bias, it's important never to allow ourselves to become victims. The world isn't fair. So what? Right. Get in there and fight another day. Get in there and figure out how you're going to make your way forward. I think that is so important. 
we can't allow external factors to shift our trajectory. I love that. And, and, and a key part of your message is really pick your battles. And one of the battles you have chosen uh, to raise your voice about is the issue of Latina, the pay gap. Because we all know that um, there is a uh, horrible pay gap for what women make compared to men. And we barely move the needle in terms of pennies for decades. But um, Latinas, it's even worse. So will you share uh, the situation with Latinas and why you feel that is such an important issue? Yeah, I think that for Latinas, you know, I think it was October 21st was the day that Latinas would have to work in a given year in order to earn as much as non-Hispanic white men. 11 months Right. I mean, I, I think of white women, it tends to be in the spring, you know, but you're saying for Latina women, it's October. It's the latest. It is the absolute latest. I think I shared with you earlier, I called myself an activist. Um, and, you know, activists don't all have to be working for social welfare agencies, etc. I think it's critical to have activists that sit where I do, who can be fearless and use our voices and continue to try and move the needle. The reason this is critical is an economic reason. This isn't just nice to have. I think Warren yeah. Buffett said this about women many years ago. He said, why would you, if you owned a manufacturing plant and 50% of your manufacturing plant had no output, what would you do? You'd give it the tools so that 100% could have the output. He said that about women. So I'm gonna say this about Latinos and Latinas. Imagine if 30% of your population continues to be underemployed and under-resourced. What will that do to the US economy? Yeah. What will yeah. that do? It is, the, it is the largest minority in the country and we are growing. So they mm -hmm. have, I think, estimated that we will hit 30%. We're currently about 18%. We'll hit 30% yeah. by 2050. So now let's look at Latinas. In most households, both the Latinas and Latinos work. So when you have Latinos, the men, who are also have a pay gap with white men, and then right. you have Latinas at the bottom of the rung, the bottom. Of all the we, rungs, African-Americans, yeah, all the rungs. Yeah. How do we ever expect this demographic of Latinos to ever help and boost the U.S. economy? Mm-hmm. Right. You can't. Right. And, and remember that Latinos don't have a lot of home ownership. They don't have retirement savings. And while Latinas prior to the pandemic had started enrolling in college more, those numbers are dwindling as well. College attainment numbers have historically been low. So even- Wow, and they're dwindling. 
Yes, the opportunities are tough. We don't have opportunities for these women to have access to the right pipeline for good paying jobs. Well, how did you overcome? I mean, here you came from uh, your your grandparents were farm workers, immigrants. Your parents were high school dropouts. What was a, a link, a key that helped you make a gigantic leap that is so difficult for so many? For me, I think it's education. You know, the one thing that my father pushed and I you know, it's really odd. He died the year I finished uh, Notre Dame Law School. And so he would be amazed to see me today. But he knew in his wisdom that education was the key. And so he pushed and he borrowed. And, you know, Mm. he sent us to private school, even though he didn't have the money. When my father died in 1990, he still owed money to one of his credit unions. And I think it was for our education. Wow. Wow. It was his, I think he believed in me and I therefore believed in myself. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate even, you know, I told someone said, have you had discrimination? I was called a taco. We moved out of (laughs) Southwest when I was in third grade and we moved over to a Polish neighborhood and they were nice, but they had never seen brown people. And my dad is like, was three shades darker than I am. And so they would say, oh, you floated here on a taco. And what I realized was the best way to overcome adversity like that was to be better than them. And so I drove myself to continually learn and grow and and just push hard. And because of all of that, I was blessed enough to be able to, you know, enter the prestigious University of Notre Dame. And then that that was a complete game changer because I learned how to navigate worlds that didn't really look like me. And that world was not just white, but the socioeconomics of many of my peers at that school were vastly different than what I had ever grown up in. And so that was the beginning and it, it continued to instill confidence. I I always say, but for the grace of God, go I. I don't know why God gave me these gifts. I don't. But I'll tell you what, I will not um, dishonor him by not using them. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite buttons, I attended the 1977 National Women's Convention in Houston, Texas, uh, with Gloria Steinem and all those incredible women, you know, fighting for the Equal Rights Amendment at that time. But I still have my favorite button from that convention. And I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but it says, God is coming and is she pissed. I remember being in high school and I wrote all about the ERA and, you know, I, I've always been this feminist. And I, I, I think part of the reason I became a feminist early on is because some Hispanic families were very traditional and mine was. So my mom gave my dad her paycheck. Um, the women stood while the men ate. And for years, I thought, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? And (laughs) now in my maturity, I realized that the the women were really 
the matriarchs are really the matriarchs of many Latino households. They just do it in a different way, right? Mm. It's called, I mm-hmm. think I call it, the, I personally call it the art of subtle manipulation. You know, they, <laughs> they run these houses and no one even realizes it. You know, another very important part of your leadership journey is the fact that you, I believe you were working in Mexico City. I mean, your work throughout your career took you a lot of places, but you came home to Detroit to help your sister who had three very young children. And I don't know the story, but at some point you became the, the single mother of those children and raised those children. Um, how is that shaped you? I think it has made me a much better person. I'm not sure I had ever planned to have kids. You know, I was gonna be this career woman and I was traveling all around the world and doing incredible things. But, you know, I also believe that our culture and maybe many cultures do this, but I know my culture says that when your family needs help, you help them. And so I came home to really help my mom because my mom was helping my sister at the time with her three small children. And I think when I first came home, they were just, you know, two, three and four. And, you know, my sister had drug and alcohol issues. Uh, Her husband was in prison most of the time. So it was bad. And and I share that often because I want people to know that it, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you end. And yeah. just because you have crazy things going on in your family doesn't mean you're stopped. But having those kids really transformed me. And I made sacrifices I'm not sure I would have ever envisioned. So, you know, when I first got the kids, I always say they were four, five and six. And I had just made partner at KPMG in international tax. So I was traveling around the world and I had just built myself a beautiful home in Ann Arbor. And, <laughs> and so here I am with now three kids, four, five, and six, traumatized, needing a lot of support and love. And I was a busy career woman. So I eventually withdrew from the partnership. And, you know, at that point, you don't worry that your career is over, but in the back of your head, you're thinking my career is over. I will always have a good job because I have a remarkable education, but my career is over. But look at me now, you know, I am on my third career and, you know, and I think it's because I was selfless. I did what I had to do, right? I didn't think twice about it. And, you know, unfortunately, my, my sister passed away in 2015, which was heartbreaking. And so often I tell people that I am fighting this fight for both of us. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. You know, we talked um, about Latina, Latino culture in terms of the significant impact, you know, growing to 30% of the U.S. population by 2050. But it's... Uh, it's a very, very diverse culture. And, and uh, there's so many different cultures that are classified under this big umbrella of Latinos and Latinas. Um, what, what would you like people to understand in terms about uh, the, the Latin culture that's becoming such an important part of the United States? Yeah, I think while our ethnicities are all different, I think what 
really kind of pulls us together is that we have extremely strong family values and this incredible work ethic. And I don't know why it happens. You know, when you think about Central America and South America, we're not all connected. Uh, yet we have this, you know, consistent um, value. And um, I think that the, the work ethic comes from the strong family. I, I think what you'll find in many Latino families is grandparents living with the family. Right. Ah. Um, and historically, I think things are evolving a little bit. You didn't move out of your home until you were married for women. So, mm -hmm. so, and I still see it in some houses. In fact, it is one of the obstacles that we work on when uh, Latino fathers don't want their young daughters to go away to college. Mm -hmm. Right. We have to talk to yep. them about it, that you're still part of the family just because you're not living at home doesn't mean that you're no longer part of that family. But I think you know, at the center of everything is the fact that we have very strong family values. And while we are diverse, there still is, you know, I, the majority, I think 68% is Mexican, right? Which makes sense because of the proximity, right? The U.S.-Mexico border right. is there, but 68% is Mexican. Mm, and, okay. You know, I think what I divides us a little bit is the food, right? There isn't tons I think how each of the uh, various subgroups got to the U.S. is a little different. The Cubans arrived in a different way mm -hmm. than some of the Central and South Americans and the Mexican-Americans. Um, but I think we are unified in the fact that we have strong family values. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this nation really always prided ourselves on being called the melting pot. And uh, there's some new ingredients being added to change the flavor of our melting pot. And, uh, you know, this is Women's History Month. And so I'm wondering if you could share uh, a couple of examples of some uh, Latina, I like to call them sheroes, because so much of our history and role models uh, have always been white men. And, uh, but it's important to have role models that we can uh, new, to learn about new role models. Are there a couple that you might mention that we can, uh, should know about and maybe learn more about? Yeah, I probably have three of them that I think about. One of them, I call her a little bit of the unsung hero because she's often overshadowed by Cesar Chavez, which is why I was deliberate to give her credit for co-founding the United Farm Workers, and that's Dolores Huerta. She uh, yeah. was at his side. They did it together. They created this movement together, and she's still alive, and she's mm. still out there fighting um, for injustices and really endeavoring to move Hispanics forward. So she is someone I have great admiration for and I feel blessed to have met. The, the next one is Ellen Ochoa and she was an astronaut. And I'm oh, not gonna- Oh, that's why I know that name. Yes. Mm -hmm. So she is remarkable and we highlight her to many of our young people. But the one that perhaps resides closest in my heart because of current times and where she sits in my profession is Associate Justice, the Honorable uh, Sonia Sotomayor. And yeah. she is amazing. 
Um, you know, talk about a fearless woman sitting mm -hmm. on a bench where the world is upside down, um, but sticking, staying true to her principles. Her book is amazing. I would tell everyone to read her book. Her life wasn't always easy when she was growing up, yet look at what she's done. And she's always been ethical. She's always had strong family values consistent with our culture. So she is someone that I continue to admire. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I want to give you one last chance to share uh, any, any thoughts or any advice you have for, um, we have primarily women listening to this. Our men are always welcome, uh, but primarily women in terms of um, using their voices uh, courageously using everything they have to continue to move humanity forward because God knows we need a lot of help. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. We do. And we need every one of us. And I think every single one of us can do something. I think there are two things that I like to point to. I think the first one is that it's our obligation to support other women, to support Latinas, to support places. It is it is an obligation. Like I started, you know, there but for the mm -hmm. grace of God go I. And that's the mm -hmm. same for everyone. Whether you're religious or not, we could all be doing other things. And when you get that, you have an obligation to support one another and not to compete. Compete with yourself, no one else. Mm. And then I think the second thing is, and, it, and it, I think it works part and parcel with the first one, is don't let anyone travel the road alone again. You know, oftentimes people will say, well, who mentored you? Who supported you? I don't know. I was lucky. I, I laid my pillow, you know, on the right bed and I chose the right career. Um, but that's, uh, you know, luck. I, I, I worked hard, so I won't let anyone take that away. But some of it is luck and that's no way to get through life. So as we see the next generation behind us, that obligation to help them navigate the complexities of a world that shouldn't be this complex is an imperative. That's fantastic. You know, there's a, I'm of Irish heritage. My, uh, all my grandparents immigrated from Ireland and there's an Irish phrase that says, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Oh, I love that. Can I steal that? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It has absolutely been fantastic to have you uh, with us, Joanne. Well, thank you so much. What an honor and privilege. And uh, I, I do appreciate this. Thank you for always keeping your voice out there and, and doing this. This is amazing. Our next generation needs to hear all of you know, the insights that you bring to them. So thank you. And thank you to Motor, Motor City Women as well. There you go, Motor City Women Studios, which is who, who hosts our podcast here. And uh, yes, thank you so much for joining us, Joanne Chavez, Senior Vice President and Legal Counsel for DTE Energy, Latina activist and leader, and recently named one of the most influential women in Michigan continuing to use her voice to make a difference. Now let's all go power up.
Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll keep listening and share us with your network. We have over 100 episodes now, so there's plenty for you to choose from. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb. I'm Ann Doyle.